That is definitely an appropriate song for the topics that we have covered this week in our evening meetings. In this series, we've ventured to look at the lives of individuals who found themselves by circumstance, by responsibility, by desire, or simply being forced to come in contact with Jesus Christ on the cross. Sunday morning we talked about the story of the crucifixion and we painted a picture that hopefully put us at the foot of that cross. That afternoon we talked about who was missing from that scene and we studied about the life of one of Jesus' apostles named Judas who had betrayed Him and instead of seeking forgiveness and redemption and all the things that we know Jesus could have provided for him, he sought another way out. And he took his own life instead of going to the cross to seek that forgiveness. We looked at the life of an apostle that Jesus truly loved and had given a great responsibility to as he stood there at the foot of the cross and that man named John. We looked at the centurion soldier who was simply doing his job, fulfilling his responsibility to go and crucify the criminals who were given to his charge that day. Last night we looked at a mother's love and looked at Mary as she held that broken, bloody body of her only son, God's only son, in her arms. Tonight, we're going to look at two individuals who certainly came in contact with Jesus not by any choice of their own. And we're going to look at the lives of these two criminals who hung there next to Jesus. And we're going to look at the opportunity that they had simply by the circumstances of them being found guilty of the charges that had been levied against them and the sentence and the penalty of death by the Roman Empire that they had an opportunity to come in contact with the Son of God. Last night we talked about Mary... And we talked about the human humanity and the human side of Jesus as He looked down and saw His mother. And I believe we're going to see a little bit more of that humanity tonight. As we look at the life of Jesus and Him hanging there on that cross with these two other gentlemen who are facing the end of their life, and we see two stark, starkly different reactions by these two men. In Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 24, the Bible says, "...and when they crucified Him, they divided His garments." casting lots for them to determine that every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified Him. And the inscription of His accusation was written above, uh, with Him they also crucified two robbers, one on His right and the other on His left. So the Scripture was fulfilled which says, and He was numbered with the transgressors. So as this scene unfolds, we see Jesus hanging on His cross and two other gentlemen, one to His right and one to His left, who had been found guilty and who were determined to be robbers. Now that term robber doesn't mean that they simply stole something, but they were a convicted felon under the laws and the authority of the Roman Empire. Likely, they were very violent individuals. Likely, they were cohorts with men like Barabbas, who we know was freed by the wish and the desires of the Jewish mob, as they chose to have Jesus crucified and Barabbas to be set free. What we have to understand is this was something that was foretold by God. 
In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12, Isaiah the prophet, some 400 years before Jesus set foot on this earth, made a prophecy as he was inspired by God. And at the end of that chapter that talks about the suffering Savior and the Messiah that would give His life and pay the ransom for our sins, He says, Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the great, and He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because He poured out His soul unto death. And He was numbered with the transgressors. And He bore the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors. And just as we talked about that Roman soldier who took Jesus on that death march all the way to the hill of Calvary, most people looked at these three men that were going to be hung on crosses that day and said they're just common criminals. They've been convicted. They've been found guilty. And as far as most of the world was concerned, Jesus was just another convict. And He was numbered with those transgressors. And we see the Son of God, the One who came to simply show God's love to humanity, the one who came and did nothing but serve God and serve His fellow man, performing miracles, fulfilling all the things that God had set forth for Him to accomplish and to do with His life, we now see that Son of God treated just like these two common criminals. You know, both of these men had committed evil. Luke chapter, Mark chapter 15 and verse 27 says, "...with Him they also crucified two robbers." One on his right hand, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Earlier in that chapter, around verse 7, Mark records and he says, and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. You see, Barabbas' crimes were well noted. Everyone in that community in Jerusalem at that time would have been familiar with who Barabbas was and would have identified him as a criminal, as a murderer, as someone who took the life of other people because of his own selfish desires. He had taken another man's life. And he stood here with Jesus in the midst of this Jewish crowd And Pilate stands before them, and as the custom was, he says, I'm going to release unto you a prisoner of your choosing. You know why Pilate (laughs) offered that deal to them that day? Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with the death of Jesus. (laughs) He wanted a way out. Because Pilate in his heart of hearts understood this man hadn't done anything wrong. And if we crucify this man, we're crucifying an innocent man. I can't find any fault in him. So Pilate says, I know, here's my way out. Surely they won't want me to release Barabbas because everybody knows he's a murderer. He didn't know the Jewish people's hatred of Jesus well enough, did he? Because as soon as he puts that offer forward, the elders and the scribes and all of those Jewish authorities, what do they begin to do? They stir up the crowd saying what? Release Barabbas. Don't you think Pilate had a thought in his head, what in the world are you people thinking? This man's a murderer. He's a criminal. He ought to pay for his crimes. But Pilate had to give in because that was the wishes of the people and he had made that offer and extended that offer to them. In many ways, the cross that Jesus ended up on was the cross that Barabbas should have been on that day. Those two other robbers and thieves that were there next to Jesus... We're probably part of the same crew and group 
that had led the insurrection where murder had taken place, and Barabbas was the one that was responsible. And instead, Jesus is going to take His place on that cross. You know, one of those criminals began to mock Jesus and ridicule Him. Luke 23 and verse 39 says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed Him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now I want you to understand something. This was not a sincere plea for Jesus to save Him. He wasn't saying, Jesus, I know Your power. Please just take us down off these crosses. You could save all of us out of this problem we're in right now. You could save our life. Save us. But you know what He was doing? He was falling into the environment that He was in at that time. Because as Jesus hung on that cross, everybody that walked by did what? They reviled Him. They wagged their heads. They shook their head in shame. And they mocked and they ridiculed. And said, if He's the Son of God, let Him come down. Let Him prove Himself. Show us some great sign of Your power. And this man in a desperate time and in a desperate hour who's hanging there next to this man Jesus chooses during his last hours of life, to look at the Son of God and mock and ridicule and make fun of Him. And say, if you're really Jesus, get us down off this cross. He had no faith. But instead, he simply did what everyone else there that day was doing. Save a few sincere disciples and followers of Jesus. Do people mock Jesus today? Do they ridicule Him today? And what He did in going to that cross? And do you hear statements such as, if He was really the Son of God, why did He have to die on a cross? If He was the Son of God and He had all the power that you believe He does and He said He did, why would He allow Himself to die at the hands of evil men? And the reason why is because they don't understand the love that God has for His creation. That God understood the price that had to be paid. And Jesus understood the price that had to be paid, that He not only had to leave glory and leave heaven and come to earth, but He had to be viewed as the lowest debased form of humanity that exists as a common criminal. It's kind of fitting. What did we do today? We toured a prison. Well, a jail, not a prison. Maybe we ought to take a tour of a prison sometime in one of these youth works. But what did we do? We went to the police station in Denton and they took us around. One of the areas they wouldn't let us go into was what? The jail. Why? Did you ever think about why they won't let you go back in there? Because guess what would happen if you walked in there? Guess what you'd hear? Do you think you'd hear sincere individuals speaking niceties to one another? <laughs> having a nice, pleasant conversation, talking about what they're going to do today and what they did last night. (laughs) They see you, guess what they're probably going to do? They're going to hurl insults. They're going to mock. They're going to ridicule because of the state that they're in. And that's what this criminal did to Jesus. I really believe he probably knew there was a difference between he and Jesus. And in a moment, that other criminal is going to make sure that he understands that there's a difference between he and Jesus. But instead of looking at Jesus as the Son of God, the one that could forgive his sins, he decides to mock and ridicule and put him down. But then we see that other criminal. 
In verse 40 of Luke chapter 23, says, But the other answering rebuked him. Rebuked him. That means he heard what this criminal was saying about Jesus and it bothered him. And it bothered him to the point that he had to stand up and say something. And how many times do we hear Jesus or His church or His kingdom ridiculed and we just sit idly by and let those things happen? That wasn't going to happen with this man. He wasn't going to take it. And as that criminal began spewing these insults and ridicules toward Jesus, he stepped in and he rebuked him. And he tells him the truth. He says, do you not even fear God? (laughs) Are you that arrogant and prideful and self-centered that you don't even consider what's going on here today? Do you have no respect for God? And he says, seeing you are under the same condemnation, he says, you're in the same state that this man is in. And you're going to ridicule Him? And He says, and we indeed justly. Why? For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. That other criminal said, you know why we're hanging here is because of what we've committed, the crimes that we've committed against humanity. This man, we know, hasn't done anything wrong, and he's still hanging here next to us. Don't you have any respect for him as a man? much less Him as the Son of God. This second criminal was desperate. There's a song, line in that song we just sang, that I come desperate. What's it mean to be desperate? It means you have no other place you can possibly be You have no other solution to the problem that you're facing. And this is the last resort. And this is the only place you can seek an answer. And you're desperate because you've tried to answer that question for yourself. You've tried to solve that problem time and time and time again. And guess what you found yourself at the end of those answers and those solutions that you've come up with? You found yourself empty. This man was in that place. He's hanging there drawing in his last breath. He he knows what a crucifixion is. He knows that his time is limited. He knows that with every breath it's going to be harder and harder to breathe. And he feels the pain and the agony just as Jesus felt. But instead, with his last moments of life, he doesn't ridicule the Son of God, but he takes a stand for Him. And he says, we're suffering justly because we did a lot of things wrong in this life. But this man, this man is truly innocent. Bring some on the passage in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15, which says, For we do not have a high priest which cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This second criminal understood the perfect life that Jesus lived. And I want you to know something tonight. You and I have to realize that the Son of God lived a perfect life. He understands what it's like to walk as a man. 
He understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands what it's like to look at something and have a desire for it, but then to shift his desire back to the will of God. Because he can be touched with the feeling of what? Our weaknesses, our infirmities. He sympathizes with us in that. Yet he never gave in. But here he hangs on this cross between two men who had given in to those desires. One in which ridicules him and one in which shows a tremendous amount of faith in the Son of God. You know, this criminal who we could be very critical of because he had made a lot of bad choices which led him to his cross, had more faith than a lot of the disciples had. How do we know that? Well, Luke 23 and 42 says, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This criminal looked at Jesus hanging on the cross and called Him what? He called Him Lord. Which indicated what? He understood who was there. He understood the authority that Jesus had. He understood the power that Jesus had. And he understood there was a kingdom. He wasn't just covering his bases. Saying, if you come into your kingdom, remember me. It wasn't a question. He said, when you come into your kingdom. Because why? He had faith. And we look at that criminal and we say, he had more faith than the disciples. How do we know that? The next chapter, I want you to look at Luke chapter 24. The road to Emmaus. Who's walking on that road? A couple of disciples. Jesus appears to them and begins to walk with them, but doesn't reveal Himself, and they don't know that it's Jesus. And He asks that question, you know, what are you all doing? (laughs) And what do they say? Where have you been? (laughs) You hadn't heard what's going on these last days in Jerusalem? And what happened with Jesus? What happened with the one we believe to be the Son of God? Verse 20 says, And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered Him to be condemned to death and crucified Him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping, but apparently we were wrong. We had put our hope in the wrong person. But that criminal sat there on the cross and said, Lord... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There wasn't a doubt in that criminal's mind who Jesus was, yet there were in the hearts and the minds of some of the disciples. This criminal had faith. (laughs) He trusted in Jesus. He knew what Jesus had the power to do, even when some of the disciples doubted and didn't believe. Because ultimately, what galvanized the disciples' faith was what? The resurrection. Once they saw Jesus in the resurrected state, okay, you are who you said you were. We're ready now. But they doubted as they saw Him die on that cross. I think a lot of times we're very critical of the disciples. How could you doubt? You saw the miracles. He told you what was going to happen and you still didn't get it. But wouldn't we be the same way? You and I are blessed to be able to stand and look at the entire picture of the gospel. They lived it. They saw Him die and they had to deal with that struggle of, was He really the Messiah or was He not? But then three days later, He came forth from that grave by the power of God and the operation of God. And what were they ready to do? They were ready to go. 
because their faith was galvanized and they were ready to preach the gospel. That criminal was ready for Jesus to save him right then and there. And he had faith that God and that Christ could do that. The criminal sought the mercy of Jesus. Notice in that same passage we just read, he acknowledges his sin, doesn't he? He says, you know, we're receiving exactly what's due us. We've committed crimes, we've murdered, we've stolen. Our lot, this is fair. (laughs) But then he looks at Jesus and he says what? Lord, remember me. And in essence, what he's saying is, Lord, have mercy on me. Because guess what I deserve? I deserve eternal separation from God. But I know you can fix that for me, Lord. I know you can forgive that. You know, mercy really is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace, on the other hand, is where we get something that we don't deserve. But mercy is that element that, you know what I deserve? I deserve the penalty for my own sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. Guess what we all deserve? The same thing that criminal realized that day. He deserved death because of the crimes that he committed, but he pleaded with Jesus that, save me. He knew he wasn't coming down off that cross. He knew physically his life was over. And he was nearing the end. But he understood there was a greater significance to the Son of God hanging there next to him and he sought for that forgiveness. Do you seek that forgiveness tonight? Which criminal are you like? Because I want to say you're one or the other. Because there should have been a cross prepared for us. And that cross that Jesus bore was the one that should have been prepared for me to hang on. And the one that you should have hung on for your own sins. But instead, in mercy, He gave you life. And He removed the debt of your own sin, which was your own death. Romans chapter eight and verse, or chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His love toward us, And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Do you realize all of the wrath, all of the pain, all of the suffering that God poured down on that middle cross and Jesus' physical body rightly belonged to you and I? It wasn't just Barabbas who he spared that day. It was you and I. And it was even those two gentlemen who hung on those crosses next to him. And they would have an opportunity. And one of them took advantage of it. And one of them instead chose to mock and ridicule what Jesus was doing. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. 
Do you realize the impact of what that statement means? That Jesus didn't die for the perfect. Jesus didn't die for those who think they're holy enough without Him. Jesus died for the ones who are in desperate need of His forgiveness and the forgiveness of God. Do you realize that's you and that's me? Do you realize we stand in need of the blood of Jesus in our life, on our heart, redeeming us and purchasing us and giving us that eternal home? Because after that criminal who hung there next to Jesus displayed his faith and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus then makes him a promise. What's the promise that Jesus made? He said, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. There's no question about that statement, is there? This man displayed his faith in that statement, asking Jesus to remember him, and then Jesus looks at him and says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Do you think that criminal was relieved? Do you think he felt a burden lifted off of his shoulders? He's still hanging on a cross, but I venture to say he found some peace. Because what was going to happen to him physically, it was done. He was just there to wait out the last few hours of his life on this earth. But that one statement from Jesus Christ changed everything about his life. He could view his death differently now, couldn't he? He could view his death within the framework and the scope of this isn't the end. But I know wherever this man Jesus is going, it's paradise and I get to go and be with Him. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Because what's the one thing that always gets brought up when we talk about this criminal that hung there next to Jesus on the cross? Doctrinally speaking... If baptism is required for salvation, this criminal disproves that because Jesus said, He'll be with me today in paradise. Jesus saved him. Amen. He did. And individuals like to use that to defend a position and a doctrine that baptism is not essential for salvation. And I want you to understand something tonight. It wasn't essential for this man. You know why? Because he was hanging on a cross next to Jesus. And if you want to go get on a cross and hang yourself there and hope Jesus comes in the middle of you and another criminal and you can ask Him to save you, by all means, get after it. But I think we understand that's foolish. You know why this man was saved? is because Jesus said He was. And if Jesus were here tonight and He could look us in our eyes and He could say, You're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved then guess what? We'd be saved, wouldn't we? Matthew chapter 9. I want you to start there in verse 1. It says, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. 
And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. As long as Jesus had a breath in his lungs, and he could speak to anyone and say, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Then guess what he had the power to do? He had the power to forgive sins. This criminal on the cross next to him who displayed his faith was blessed enough that he cried out to Jesus. He called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and Jesus heard that call. And Jesus turned and made him a promise and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. The other thought about this is how do we know this man hadn't been baptized? All of those in Judea had been going out to John in the wilderness as John was preparing the way. And what were they all doing? They were all being baptized. And who was it that was going out there and being baptized? It wasn't the religious elite. It was the heathens and the publicans and the prostitutes. Well, what was he? (laughs) He was a criminal. He was a heathen. Might he have had opportunity to go out into the wilderness of John and be baptized? Perhaps. That's a little speculative, I understand. But nonetheless, he displayed an amount of faith in Jesus and who he was and recognizing his power and authority over spiritual things and asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. And Jesus said, guess what? You'll be with me in paradise today. Do you have the faith of that criminal? Do you? Do you have faith enough to look at Jesus and understand His life, to understand His suffering at the cross, and to cry out to Him as your Lord, asking Him to forgive you and to have mercy upon you so that your sins are not laid to your account, but that you can have forgiveness? Because that's what that man had. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. There's nothing you can do to earn the salvation that God, through Jesus Christ, has purchased for us. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of worship you can give Him. There's no amount of song or singing schools or gospel meetings you can go to. There's not a number of sermons you can preach or Bible studies you can lead or people you can convert that will earn you a spot in eternity with God. It can't happen. It boils down to your faith in that man who hung on that middle cross. And do you have enough faith to obey His Word? You see, that criminal that hung next to Jesus there was in dire straits, wasn't he? He's hung on a cross. Did he choose to be there that day? If it had been up to him, would he have been hanging on a cross? He probably would have chosen somewhere else to be or something else to do. It wasn't up to him, was it? He carried his cross to the same place Jesus did. The soldiers stretched him out on that piece of wood just like they had Jesus. They put nails through his wrists and through his feet and they lifted him up. He had no control. There was nothing he could do to solve the problem that he was in. 
But as he cried out to God, and he cried out to Jesus Christ, he would have been willing to do anything that Jesus told him to do. But as he cried out, you know, Jesus didn't put any requirements upon him. You know why? Jesus had seen his faith demonstrated by the simple statement that he had just made to him. And Jesus, knowing the hearts of men perfectly, had made the determination that this man would be saved. Now, how does that equate to us? I want you to know tonight, you're saved when Jesus says you're saved. Not a minute before. In Mark chapter 16, as Jesus gives the Great Commission, what did He tell His disciples? What did He tell those apostles? He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Tonight, I want you to know, you're hanging on the cross next to Jesus. Here's the difference. He tells you to repent and be baptized, believing in Him so that you can be saved. And you have the power to come down off that cross and obey Him. That criminal couldn't do that that day. Nor did he need to because the Son of God forgave his sins. You want your sins forgiven tonight? First of all, I want you to fear God. I want you to respect God and reverence Him and understand who He is. He's not some made-up fictional idea of man. But He's the Creator of all things. He's omnipotent, He's omnipresent, He's omniscient. He knows and sees all. And He created everything that we see in our world. That's the God that we serve. And you need to fear Him. Just as that criminal looked at that other criminal and said, Do you not fear God? Do you have no respect for Him? Tonight, I want you to fear God. I want you to respect Him. 111th Psalm of verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do His commandments. His praise endures forever. You know what the wise man does? The wise man hears the command of God and obeys. You know why? Because he fears God. If you respect God tonight and you want Him to save you from your sins, you need to obey His voice. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You believe that tonight? Do you believe that verse is true? As that criminal cried out to Jesus to remember Him in His kingdom, did Jesus fulfill His command and save Him? He did. He kept His promise. And He makes us the same deal. He says, if you'll call upon My name, I'll save you. The thing about it is, it's not just an audible calling by our voice to God. But instead, it's a repentant heart seeking forgiveness for sins that can only be found in the blood of Jesus, which can only be accessed in baptism. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 is Saul of Tarsus meets this man named Ananias. Ananias sees him in his state. 
after he had prayed for three days, after he had fasted for three days, after he had had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and guess what Ananias tells him to do? He says, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Tonight, you want to know how you call on the name of the Lord? It's by obeying Him in baptism. That as you come repenting of your sins, desiring for the blood of Jesus to cleanse and wash you, you're making a calling upon God. And as you're buried with Him in baptism, God performs an operation on your heart with the same power that He used to raise Jesus from the dead. And as miraculous as that resurrection is, it's just as miraculous tonight when sin is removed from the heart of a repentant believer in Jesus Christ. And tonight, you can call on the name of the Lord just as that criminal did. And when Jesus says you're saved, you'll be saved. Tonight, will you call upon the name of the Lord? Will you call upon the Lord to save you from your sins? Are you desperate enough in sin understanding you can't fix it? Are you desperate enough understanding that the only answer is true submission to the will of God? And do you respect Him enough to obey His commands? If you do, you can have it tonight. You can be baptized for the remission of your sins, or you can come as a child of His repenting and seeking restoration and reconciliation to God through the avenue of prayer that's afforded to us as His children. Tonight, you're a criminal. Tonight, you're guilty. And tonight, Jesus is the only way out of the problem that you're in. Will you come to Him? If you will, come calling upon Him as we stand and sing.